Hello, friends. Welcome once again to the Perfect Bomb Podcast. This is a podcast all about anything and everything comic books and comics related, brought to you by the Panel Jumper and Comic Extension. My name is Ben. With me is Nicole Lamb. Hello. Hello, Cole Hornaday. Hello, Ben. Hello, Cole. And Chris Casso. Hello. Hello. How is everybody this fine evening? It's okie dokie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, it's cooling off. Yeah. yeah. It is We've cooling off. We've been in off. a bit of a heat stroke here. It was uh, 90 degrees. <laughs> I'm stroking. I don't know about you. <laughs> well then, this is, this is the old ages podcast. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you guys are going to a naughty place. I wasn't in a naughty place. I was referring to like you know palpitations, uh, blood pressure rising. We're still there. Hallucinations. No. I. Uh, yeah, it's uh, my my place does not have air conditioning, and so I uh, have learned to sleep with the constant high, you know, high high volume whir of a mm-hmm. window fan mm-hmm. yep. and every once in a while the re- oscillating one hits me and so <laughs> it's uh but you know what we went through such a long cold dark winter here Give in me seattle <laughs> that that i'm like yeah I, i'll deal with a little bit of heat why stop there <laughs> why stop there give me eternal darkness <laughs> <laughs> well the um, the heat has certainly worn out its welcome and uh you know who else has worn out their welcome according to some readers on certain online message boards so the joker because the joker is in everything and i could list off all the ways the joker has made an appearance in the past couple of uh years but i'm not going to because i didn't write it down but <laughs> My question to you is, do we think the Joker's been over, overexposed? Is it, be, is it because he's like the perfect Batman foe? Or is it because he's like the most recognizable one from the rogues gallery and the most marketable one? Yes, yes, and yes. Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, good. He's, he's always been over overexposed. And there was a period where you could tell they kind of gave him like four to five month vacations. Yeah. Um, and that way it would be a big deal when he came back because ideally fans would be salivating. Mm-hmm. And that formula does work because people are salivating for the Fantastic Four. Mm-hmm. So it's just like, you know, the, but they can only retire him for so long because he is the the ultimate Batman villain as far as marketing is determined. Yeah. And so it's like, they, we need to make money so you can't shelf him for too long. Mm-hmm. But they did shelf him for a while when they ripped his face off. <laughs> Jeez. Was he was it? there, and then he disappeared in that run for a while. Well, well, then there was a whole thing about them being there being so many um, clones or duplicate Jokers. Oh, there was that whole discussion. Do you even know what they're leading to? There's so they. Well, I read the the met the the metal the road to metal. There's three Jokers. Oh, I see. There's a subplot Boy, that they just, introduced. Can I just say how pathetic that is? And there's going to be a whole <laughs> series coming out called the Three Jokers. So are they from different timelines? We don't from, know. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So maybe it will but, solve this mystery. But there yeah. isn't in the road the metal they talk about. I haven't read any of the other metal things. Yeah. Um, yeah. It yeah. is mentioned in there briefly, and then it's mentioned a couple more yeah. times at the end of the event. Okay. But it was mentioned at the beginning of uh, Rebirth, I think. So it's been like two years that we've been like, there's going to be lots of Jokers. So it's just something we got to sit through, you know. But like when New Fifty Two launched. He briefly appeared, got his face ripped off, and then disappeared for roughly a year or so. So you get these little little breaks. Yeah, you know. So. Yeah, is is um if if we were to pick another villain out of the Rogues Gallery to take up the Joker's mantle, like who do we want to see as Batman's primary foe <laughs> these days? Chris, it looks like you have an answer. Let's or let go first. Well, Cole. um, I. 
I've always, for years, I thought the Riddler was a lame villain, but in the hands of a good writer, the Riddler is actually can be a fascinating bad guy yeah. because he at least creates scenarios and wordplay. And um, I, I, I made the mistake of reading um, was it Earth Two the Bat the Earth Two Batman story that um, no, the uh, the that Jeff Johns did. No, it was Straczynski and um, that was Superman. Straczynski did Superman. the Batman Earth Two with um. Uh, Harry Frank? Yes. That was Jeff Johns. Was it was it? Was it? it, was was it? Johns, okay, yeah. I can remember the right. Anyway, yeah. um, but that was the, the, the Riddler and that was the foil, and it wasn't the strongest story, but at least there were, um, uh, he was very flawed. He was not particularly strong villain, but there was wordplay in it, and um, you could tell he was actually struggling to compete with Batman's intellect. Mm. Um uh, so maybe that's not a really good example, but there have been past examples where it's like, yeah, in the hands of, of a good writer, the the Riddler can actually be threatening and kind of creepy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they focused on him for almost a year. At the end of New Fifty Two, he became the core villain for a while, and then Tom King just did a long story called like mm. The War of Jokes and Riddles. Okay, so he got a big spotlight in that. All right, for me, I would want somebody out of left field, and I would like them to introduce the phantasm into comic continuity. And if you don't remember the Mask of the Phantasm cartoon, and that's a character that they've never bothered to introduce in the comics. Um, they introduced her into the final episodes of the Justice League cartoon, and mm-hmm. to a very good result. So it's like that's a a unique character that no one's been using. So I would like to hmm. do that instead, you know? All right. Are there, um, and maybe she can unbreak Batman's heart. <laughs> <laughs> Are there any other, uh, characters, not just in Batman, but just in comics in general that you just want to see go on extended hiatus? I was really trying to think of that. And for me, it's always the X-Men. Yeah, like, put them in a box for three years. Yeah, and then we'll we be salivating for the return, and you have it a marketing I, success. Yeah, because I, I think Chris's point about you know letting the Fantastic Four retire, regardless of of whether you know they went off the radar because of the movies and 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 competing with the Fox competing and Fox Sony competing with the DCU, or excuse me, with the MCU. Um, uh, but now I'm actually excited about the return of the Fantastic Four for a number of reasons. Um, and I and X Men used to be my jam, and I'm sick. I, I became sick to death of them like ten years ago. I don't think I picked up a new X Men comic book in years. So Marvel is reporting that pre-orders for Fantastic Four number one are over four hundred thousand copies. Yeah, that's great. So it's record-breaking numbers. Wow. And that's what happens. You take a book that probably hmm. was never going to achieve those numbers ever again, mm-hmm. and you put them away for a couple years, and then people get mad at you for doing that, mm-hmm. and then you relaunch them, and no matter what people are going to be like it's as important they're back however so. with the um fantastic forward they'd never saturated the stands but x-men saturated the stands mm-hmm. which is why i gave up on them so 10-year hiatus okay ten-year. i mean i support all of this <laughs> um and i take it back i did pick up the um and i felt a bit bilked in doing it but um uh, the uh, when they brought the the, the teen X Men the tiny the tiny all, teens all new X Men all yeah. new X Men yeah. um, I got caught up and that was Bendis and and Stuart Eminent right yes yeah. yeah and for the first five issues I was like I like this this is fun and it got so boring so fast <laughs> it went too long so trite it yeah just went too long yeah, yeah the um, 
Wolverine technically has been gone for two to three years now, except mm-hmm. he's not been gone because yeah. they replace him with old man Logan. It's just like, you, it's still a Logan. It's not the <laughs> same. And well, it's still too much of the same, though. If you actually got rid of any claw people for at least those two, three years, mm-hmm. we care about his return. He's returning and nobody cares right now because yeah. they've oversaturated his return. Yep. He's got five ongoing or five miniseries about him returning right now. Mm. And it's just like, eh, it's still too much. Not the same in that that's not a real hiatus. Yeah. That's right. what I meant. Yeah. And Laura took up the mantle of Wolverine, which is right. actually a really good series, the all-new Wolverine series yeah. I started reading. Um, but yeah, then they brought some like alternate timeline, Wolverine Sun or something like that. Yeah, He's so, there too. Yeah. yeah. So so many claw people are running around. They're like, yeah. oh, so nobody's gone. Claw force. So they did that, basically. So what they did, like Hunt of Wolverine <laughs> with the four-issue four limited series every week you get an issue and then now they're doing return of wolverine yep it's not even wolverine it's like we're still in the process of returning him like you just get him in there except he's already returned because he's in another marvel event already as wolverine and you're just like "Uh, okay claw force claw force claw force spider claw force it's clawful clawful high five All right, today's show is brought to you by Clawful. <laughs> Pick it up at your local AMP. Clawful, falafels. <laughs> All right, before we move on, do we have anything we want to say about either the Joker, the Rogues Gallery, or comic characters who have overstayed their welcome? I want Batman to take on friendship. <laughs> you want That'll everybody to enemy? take on friendship. Yes. I just am a sucker for friendship. Would friendship be a foe for Batman? Yeah. Yeah. Dude, volume five, like he's begrudgingly Superman's friend. Can we put Batman's sadness on hiatus? <laughs> Where he just tries to find himself again and yes. he finds friendship? Yes. Yes. Yeah, yes. <laughs> I'm down with that. Everyone right. else will hate it, but I'll be like, this is the I want a vacation comic for Batman where he takes five months and he just comes back feeling refreshed and (laughs) happy about life. Batman goes to a spa. Yes. We'll call it Batman Grounded. Yes. (laughs) He just put a block on uh, any vacations for superheroes because we cannot have refreshed superheroes. They can't be married. They can't be well rested. Nothing. (laughs) If they have children, the children have to hate them. That's right. Mm -hmm. I don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> oh lordy lordy cold cold mentioned we mentioned a couple uh weeks ago that you wanted to talk about harvey p car so let's move on to talking about the the great harvey p car okay tell us about harvey cole well um i discovered harvey back in the day um when i was still um mired in superhero comics my friend steve mattson said hey you gotta check out this guy's uh, independently published stuff. Well, what's it about? Well, it's this guy, and he lives in Cleveland, and he works for the Veterans Administration as a file clerk, and he writes these comics about his life and his weird friends and his family, and um, it's really cool. I'm like, gee whiz, that sounds like the most excruciatingly boring thing in the world. Mm-hmm. And um, and then uh, Steve threw the caveat out and was like, oh, and he shows up on Letterman from time to time. <laughs> 
and everybody like thinks he's crazy. Um, so I, I eventually I got my hands on the American Splendor anthology and fell in love with it. So let me double back here. Harvey Picard, uh, uh, he passed in uh, 2010, um, but he was kind of known to the world as uh, the poet laureate of Cleveland. And he really did just write comics about his daily life and his daily struggles. And Harvey is an unrepentant neurotic. Um, and uh, he is spunky and quirky and easily agitated. And I think he's just like the living embodiment of high blood pressure. When the guy <laughs> shows up on Letterman the first time, his voice is squeaky. It's like nasal and squeaky and hoarse. And, and you think, is this how this guy really talks. Is this, this guy's really, how, that's how terrible to be going through life. And then um, if you watched more of the episodes, like the third time he shows up on Letterman, years later, um, his voice is normal because he's actually had an opportunity to relax. And, and as soon as Letterman gets the guy agitated, his voice goes up into his head and he's screeching. And it's like, um, He's so hard to relate to, and yet you instantly relate to him. How old is he ab- about when, when he shows when he up first on Letterman? Started showing up on um, Letterman. He uh, uh, he is in his late forties. Okay, so yeah. he's he's had some years. Yeah. Okay. In fact, that's the point. When it, he he shows up on Letterman between like nineteen, I'm going to say nineteen eighty six. Wait, I wrote it down. Yeah, eighty six to ninety four. And uh, and a very kind person actually uh, cobbled all of the appearances together on. YouTube, um, and uh, I don't think watching them is a good indication of of who Harvey was as a person, and definitely not who, who he was as a creator, because they never freaking talk about his comics. I mean, basically, he just looks like a money grubbing um, uh, uh, mouthpiece for his own work, um, and it's just these agitated conversations that are circular. And no, I would not be inspired to go out and buy Harvey's books watching him on Letterman. In fact, I've but probably feel pretty sad for him. Um, but I did pick up his book and um, and was really taken by the fact that, yeah, these are just stories of his daily life, working through a lot of his neurotic issues, his, um, uh, his fears and his foibles. And it was a wonderful, wonderful exercise in um, uh, what Plato called... Uh, uh, the uh, the examined or uh, Plato once said the unexamined life is not worth living and Picard spent his entire life creative life examining his life down to the minutia and there's a lot to be gained from looking at this man's life because he was just a common Joe a really freaking neurotic common Joe but there was a lot to be to be gained from from reading his stuff and and I was flipping through the uh, anthology collection today that was printed back in I think it was printed in 2000 no 91 mm-hmm. do you know is this still in print uh, we've been having a lot of trouble trying to get those back in, yeah. so there's no real accessible copy yeah. for comic stores right now. Okay, so because he self-published a lot of uh, his stuff, uh, this uh, collection I'm holding was uh, done through four walls, eight windows, um, and then once he's, his regular series concluded, um, I think it ran from 76 to 83, it was like a magazine format, black and white, um, then he went to miniseries and um, standalone graphic novels and stuff like that. But here's the here's what he would do. He would he would he would write these little anecdotal stories, and he would have a whole range of artists contribute. Um, but the, of course, the most well known contributor to the stories was was Robert Crumb, and he and Crumb 
became pals. Uh, they met um, when they were both foraging for jazz records at a garage sale. Um, uh, did you have anything you want to share about Harvey? Well, I picked up just a lot of little bits and pieces that I thought were interesting and some quotes. And um, one thing that I, I kind of figured but I didn't know it was specifically attributed to him is that he is credited for being the first author to publicly distribute memoir comic books mm-hmm. um, really? and while it's common for people today um, to publicly write about their lives on blogs and blah 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 in the mid 70s he was doing all this before it was uh, commercialized at any right. point so hmm. he's uh, been generally credited for that and um, there's one quote that I really love from him uh life is a war of attrition you have to stay active on all fronts it's one thing after another i've tried to control chaotic universe and it's a losing battle but i can't let go i've tried but i can't he's a terribly cynical person but he turned that cynicism into a kind of poetry Mm -hmm. um so they they actually did a film about uh, an american splendor film in 2003 which i saw when it came out and loved and regret that i have not seen it multiple times since it's starring uh, paul giamatti it was directed by sherry springer berman and robert um Pulcini. the cool thing about this movie is that it's both documentary and um dramatic film because you've got giamatti playing harvey and, and, and they're playing out um, events in his life and whatnot. Um, but then they will cut to very documentary-style pieces where they're interviewing Harvey and his wife and his daughter. and, and The, the actual he, Harvey, or mm-hmm, is it Jamati yep, playing yeah, no, Harvey? Okay. It, it, it cuts in and out. And I think there's a third aspect of the film, if I remember correctly, where they're either are animating the illustration, the illustrated co- the comics, or something like I remember it being in three different approaches. Hmm. But they dovetail together in a really successful way because... And one of the things I love about it is that he truly has these quirky, quirky people that he associated with through his job and kind of like this loser's club of a very oddball people. I think that we're either his neighbor, friends, neighbors, and co-workers. And you see people playing them. You see actors playing them alongside Giamatti. And then you meet the real people. And these people are so dang quirky. It's like there's no actor that could really capture the essence of these people. <laughs> it's really great that they do the documentary aspect so you get to know them that way. So hmm. I highly recommend the movie. Yeah, it's I didn't know that movie. part. And yeah. they also did, he did a, our movie year book soon after that right. too. So you get to see him do his autobiography about the movie. Yeah, cool. So yeah. <laughs> there's a book that that's all, that's his like transcripts, uh, comic adaptations of his appearances on Letterman, you know. Anyway. Sorry, I cut you off. Well, no, I, I didn't realize that was 2004 when he released that, yeah. so it's been a while since the movie. Yeah. I've seen the movie. Yep. The movie came out in 2003, and he passed away in 2010. And he carried the books over to Vertigo, mm-hmm. and I think I could still get some of those okay. into the store fairly easily. Um, but like you said, he started doing self-contained short volumes. He did The Quitter mm-hmm. with Dean Haspiel, and he also did uh, Not the Israel My Parents Promised Me, which is the one we were desperately trying to figure out, because mm-hmm. um, it's another book that sounds just like that as well. Um, and then he also did Yiddishkeit, Yiddishkeit Jewish Vernacular and the New Land. Mm-hmm. So he, he stayed pretty busy up until 2012, or mm-hmm. no, late, later publications in 2012, sorry, died in 2010. Mm-hmm. Um, 2009, he apparently worked on Studs Terkel's Working. Mm. So I don't remember that one. Um, I don't know what you'd have to, 
working it was a novel turned into or a, a, a documentary book turned into a stage play turned into a musical <laughs> um, into but I a think video game back yeah. into a comic book <laughs> yeah. but if I remember correctly it was an evolving property because it's basically monologues about people in their work environments mm. so and I think that they were always evolving it so they were telling new stories about working okay. um, hmm. but so that might have been what he was doing I have to check that out yeah. Um, but yeah if you can find his stuff um, uh, I uh, I hesitate to say it's an acquired taste but he definitely grows on you yeah um, I loved um, reading this this collection um, I've I sadly have not read any of the, his other books and I'm going to remedy that all right uh, cool. Well, I think we'll all uh, we all feel a little closer to Harvey <laughs> Carr right now. Thank you, Cole. You're welcome. Let's move on to book report, everybody. And lastly, Cole, let's start with you. What do you oh, want to tell gosh, us? About? I don't know if I was ready. Um, okay, well, <laughs> get I, ready, oh, sir. Gosh darn it! You know me. I need prep time. So I read the the first uh, issue of Captain America, Captain America number one, and um, and this one's kind of a big deal because uh, Tanahashi Coates is uh, taking over the the, the storytelling reigns of, of Captain America and it's drawn by Lionel Francis Yu um, uh, and I thoroughly enjoyed it and I'm going to keep reading it um, I uh, uh, I didn't know what was ha- it kind of it starts in the middle of a lot of action um, but at least it but but what I appreciate is that it starts on the conclusion of the um, the Secret Empire stories, um, and there's a lot of uh, the, there's, there. Seriously, is a lot of action happening from the get-go. So you kind of have to pick up the pieces as you go along. Um, I actually followed the the Secret Empire story. Am I getting that right? Is it Secret Empire? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I actually read those stories, so um, uh, I have some working familiarity with with what's happening. But I haven't read a Captain America title for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and Coates is is doing what he did with Black Panther, which is you know, uh, you're gonna have to you're gonna, you're gonna run to catch up with me because I'm just I'm picking up threads that were other writers left, and uh, we'll learn as we go. Um, and that's what I, I felt was happening with this Captain America comic is is that uh, you're gonna learn as you go, and we're gonna pick up the threads of all the things that are happening in the universe around us, and it's gonna be done through uh, Coates's particular uh, uh, take on the universe and his. Um, his viewpoint. Um, uh, I uh, uh, I want this to be a political comic book. I want this to address some issues. Um, I'm not quite sure what I wanted to address, but I wanted to challenge the the mentality that we are experiencing right now in this country. And I think it's going to be happening. So I was very happy with that. Um, uh, and uh, because I believe in the metaphorical. Uh, the, the value of the metaphorical storytelling of comics. And um, I don't know if comics can be a healing thing, but I do think that they can be uh, a platform for a lot of healthy discussion and discovery. So um, beautiful cover by um, um, Mr. Alex Ross, of course. <laughs> so, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I'll keep reading it. Cool. All right. Captain America number one. Thank you, Cole. Uh, Nicole, what do you want to tell us about this week? So I'm very excited to bring to the table a truly gay manga. (laughs) I know nobody's actually been waiting for this (laughs) except me and a couple other people. Um, Go for it. Nakamura is by uh, Sayunde. S-Y-U-N-D-E-I. I'm sure I've butchered that. Um, And it is about... Nakimura, who is a gay boy in high school, who has a crush on this uh, very pretty boy, fun-loving uh, guy. 
And it Nakimura is just a, just a weirdo. Like he's just so nervous. He likes um, octopus like like a lot, like like as pets. And so he in class one day he's like he just immediately picks up a, an octopus. And I went right to the fantasy part, which was kind of naughty. But um, <laughs> uh, does he have an octo fetish? He doesn't have a fetish. It's it's actually a pretty cephalopetish. It's a pretty innocent comic. <laughs> oh. Um, but he's just like such a weirdo, like kind of coming off of this neurotic weirdo thing. Like uh-huh. he gets really in his head about talking to this guy and he freaks out every time. And then he freaks out about what actually happens. So like he'll drop something and he's like, oh, I'll go pick this thing up. But then instead he steps on it. And it's just like the, the thing where you just get really in your head. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's very, very endearing. And um, the reason why I say finally it's a gay comic is because a lot of stuff is like girls love or boys love. And it always has this like heteronormative gaze of like, this is taboo or I don't maybe we will go find husbands later or something. Let's like, objectify you know. him a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Definitely for boys love. There's definitely a lot of objectification and just like they're cute and maybe they kiss, you know, but it's not it's not really like a true to to life gay coming of age story. Mm-hmm. And I feel like Go For It Nakamura is. So I've given it to well, only one person, but you know, if I could cast a wider net, I would. Um, it's like already not really super available through our comic distribution, but you can get it through Seven Seas, and I think a lot of people do digital now too. Like Seven Seas is probably digital, um, so uh, it's very slice of life, just following Nakamura and his neurotic tendencies, and um, it's very sweet. So I would highly recommend picking up Go for Na- Go for It Nakamura, especially if you're looking for gay manga, like like true gay manga. Like, <laughs> Cool. I've been looking for. <laughs> All righty. And uh, Cole, you can keep your octopus jokes uh, and say them on our Cephala podcast. All right, moving on. Oh. Chris Casso, what do you want to tell us about? I, I could follow that. <laughs> um, so I read the first issue of The Life of Captain Marvel, the most current in a long run of Captain Marvel relaunches because uh, they just can't seem to keep him going that long. And this is only six issues, so hey, there you go. <laughs> um, so Precursor. Scott read this. He has no exposure to the character. He thought it was really good and a good introduction, so t- keep that in mind. I don't like Carol. I never have, <laughs> no. and I don't think I ever will unless the movies do something interesting with her. I have a lot of reasons for not liking to her, but most of the time, she's a jerk and... Uh, the writing in this is well done, and it does introduce you to her family background, which is good if you want to learn more about that. There's some really good art. It's got Carlos Pacheco and um, is that Savage? I think it's Savage. There's no credits. I'm going to say it's Savage. <laughs> and, um, but, like, Civil War II happened, and that was because she got, like, totally into Minority Report, and it was all about, like, being a and she punched Iron Man into a coma and he's here and they're like besties and I hate that because what how why do you guys like each other now (laughs) and uh, so I just I don't care for her it's well done um, it's just not for you. It's just but not I had for to me. say one nice thing about it. Yeah. Um, if you want to know more about Carol going into her soon upcoming movie appearances, this is probably a really good jump point. 
Um, and because otherwise you kind of have to hunt down a bunch of different miniseries or previous runs. There we go. Uh, the, the Marguerite Sauvage. Haha, <laughs> got it right. <laughs> it's written by Margaret Stahl, who is a young YA novelist, I think. I'm not entirely sure. I'm not sure either. So, yeah, it's, it's $4.99. Pretty expensive for a quick read for me. Um, it's got a really nice cover by Art Germ. Yeah. And so there are positives to be said. I'm the wrong person to say them. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> All right. The life of Captain Marvel. Thank you, Chris. Well, that is Book Report, and coming up is quiz time. But before we go, I want to tell you that the, that the Perfect Bound podcast is brought to you by The Panel Jumper. See everything Cole Hornaday and I do at thepaneljumper.com, where you can see the uh, latest episode of The Panel Jumper, episode uh, 7, Jack Kirby and the Lord of Light, as well as Comics Dungeon here at 319 Northeast 45th Street in beautiful downtown Wallingford, or 24 hours a day, seven days a week at comicsdungeon.com. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or however you get you however you get your podcast at perfectboundpodcast.com send us an email perfectboundpodcast at gmail.com and our friends get your quiz hats on it's quiz time this week our questions come to us from Mr. Cole Hornaday lead on us okay this quiz time for episode number 183 is uh, actually, the title is actually a quote from one of my favorite bands. Generals and majors always seem so unhappy, lest they got a war. XTC, Black Sea, 1980. A quiz time devoted to some mighty militarized supporting characters. Hmm. Number one. (laughs) I'm just so proud of myself right now, you guys. (laughs) Originally assigned to command Desert Base, New Mexico, where Dr. Bruce Banner's gamma ray experiments were carried out, this domineering windbag would ultimately become so obsessed with destroying the Jade Giant, he became a red version of that which he hated most. General Ross. That's right, General Thaddeus Thunderbolt Ross was created by Stanley and Jack Kirby and first appeared in Incredible Hulk number one. Red Hulk, who was who he became at one point, was created by Jeff Lab and Ed McGinnis and first appeared in The Hulk number one in 2008. And his daughter became Red She-Hulk. Yeah, right? and Betty yeah, became, Betty became the, yeah, the, red, it, uh, the red is in the jeans. I, I lost, uh, sadly, I lost track of those. I was having fun with them and then I just stopped. Yeah. Um, Next, originally employed as a circus strongman in the days before World War II, this red-haired muscle man found himself coming to the aid of Sergeant Nick Fury and Sam Happy Sawyer, helping them escape from Nazis and ultimately joining Fury's newly formed Howling Commandos to become the One-Eyed One's second-in-command. Dum Dum Dugan. Dum Dum Dugan was created by Stanley and Jack Kirby and first appeared in Sergeant Ra- Sergeant Fury, whoopsie, Sergeant Fury and his Howling Commandos, issue number one in 1963, and eventually uh, becoming Fury's right hand man. Chris, my words are precious. <laughs> like Shakespeare. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Or maybe Christopher Marlowe, you know, like, but second string. All right. Anyway, uh, at, but eventually winds up in S.H.I.E.L.D. with those guys. And <laughs> with those how he ended up chasing Godzilla for a while. He did. Yes. Yeah. And you know what? I'm trying to figure out how I can work that into the next panel jumper because oh. next one is Atomic Monsters. <laughs> All right, next question. This hard-bitten and outspoken U.S. Army general fathered that plucky and forthright reporter for the Daily Planet, Lois Lane, the woman who would, in time, come to be wooed by the last son of Krypton. Who's that daddy? 
General Lane. General Ge Sam Lane. I was going to say that as like a joke. That's actually it. Yeah. <laughs> General Sam Lane, along with his wife, Ella, was introduced in Superman's Girlfriend, Lois Lane, number 13 in 1959 by Robert Bernstein and Kurt Schaffenberger. He was Wonder Woman's first love interest and a top-secret level operations agent of the United States government. And with each subsequent reboot of the DC Universe, became a decorated soldier in nearly every U.S. conflict from World War II to Vietnam and beyond. He served as a pilot in military intelligence and is known for his skills in aviation, tactical analysis, hand-to-hand -hand combat, and military protocol. Steve. Steve Trevor, General Steve Rockwell Trevor, was created by William Moulton Marston and first appeared in All-Star Comics number 8 in December of 1941. Steve Trevor is a trusted friend, love interest, and partner who introduces Diana Wonder Woman to the man's world, quote-unquote, and has served as Wonder Woman's United Nations liaison. Uh... Lyle Wagner portrayed the character in the 1970s Wonder Woman series starring Linda Carter and Chris Pine, of course, in the 2017 extended universe film Wonder Woman. This is a thing, DC extended universe film. DCEU. Oh, okay. That's their right. version of the MCU. And, oh, this is new information to me. Chris Pine will also portray a character presumed to be Steve Trevor in Wonder Woman 1984. That's, That's what they're the calling movie. the next one? Yeah. 1984. Turns out it's it's a, it's a Captain Kirk who's flown oh, back Kirk. in time. Kirk, I spit at thee. <laughs> All right. Once Krypton's greatest military leader, this fanatical warmonger was banished to the Phantom Zone for crimes he committed against the good people of Krypton. Trapped for years, long past the destruction of his home planet, he emerged from his interdimensional prison seeking revenge against the man he blamed for his captivity by going after his jailer's only surviving son, Kal-El of Krypton, the hero known as Superman. Kneel before Zod. Kneel before Zod. Can you remember the name of his lackeys? No, because they're Pod, different in the movie. Pod, yes. Pod. <laughs> One of them is delicious Indian bread. What? Non. 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 Now, is that the name of the character in the comics or just in the, or in the movie? I thought the names were different. I thought that the was there the might name. be one in the movie. <laughs> okay. Non and what was the? Ursa. Ursa. Ursa and Non. All There's right. been some weird names, but yeah. anything's yeah. possible. Here's my lackey, delicious Indian bread. <laughs> <laughs> they just weren't trying, were they? No. I'm sorry. They were also it's really okay. hungry. There's just a bunch of just stoners. <laughs> Uh, yeah, <laughs> we Dutch. gotta make the Superman. <laughs> Sorry, we gotta make the Superman movie. <laughs> uh, <sorry>. uh, <laughs> I'm gonna finish this, you guys. Yeah. I really am. Keep All going, right. keep Drew going. Almost there. Created by George Papp and Robert Bernstein. It first appeared in Adventure Comics number 283 in 1961, and that is my quiz time. Thank <laughs> you so much. Well, thank you, Cole. <laughs> thank you all for listening. Thank you to Webster Polk, who's That's been true. videotaping us this time. We'll we'll see that on the internet, and uh, we will see you next week. 